the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You've done the right thing. You've done good. But you still get treated badly for it. So why is that? Let's talk about that today here on Truth For Today. It's one thing to get treated badly for doing bad, but when you've done good and you're still treated badly, well, the injustice just seems overwhelming, doesn't it? Today on Truth For Today, Pastor Phil Howard takes us back to the life of David as we take a look at how David responds to a similar situation. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, join us here in 1 Samuel with today's broadcast of Truth For Today, once again, Here's Pastor Phil Howard. I'm going to speak today on uh, when you're treated wrong for doing right. Have you ever been there? When you're treated wrong for doing right. We're studying the life of David. Chapter 18. David starts running for his life. He's anointed at age 12. They believe that he went and met the giant at age 17, around in there. After his victory, he comes into Saul's court and stays there for about three years. They approximate he's around 20 when he has to take off running for his life. And when you look at the narrative from chapter 18 through the rest of the book, David is running and running. And would you believe he runs for 10 years? He's anointed at 12. He said he's going to be the next king of Israel. And all of a sudden, like a Greek tragedy, it makes no sense on a human level. How can God's anointed, the man after God's own heart, be in exile and on the run for the next 10 years of his life? And all he's done is obey God, do God's will. And here he's chased down like a dog. If you tracked him, We'll just mention these things. In chapter 18, Saul tries to spear him twice while he's playing away the blues for the king. And so in verses 10 and 11, uh, evil spirit comes on Saul and he throws the spear. Throws the spear. Happened at least twice. David never knew it was so dangerous being a musician. And uh, scary. Uh, Saul tries to kill David uh, at the hands of the Philistines in chapter 18. He had told David he could have one of his daughters. But the daughter that he promised, he gave to another man. But Michael, one of his younger daughters, fell in love with David. But the king says, you can have her. I promise I'd give you a daughter for killing the giant. But I want to add a condition. You bring me a sack full of 100 foreskins from the Philistines. Other words, you're going to get killed in the process of paying the dowry. What a bloody dowry. He comes back with 200. But the plan was to get him killed, 
trying to pay the dowry by killing the Philistines. So he's setting him up. In chapter 19, verse 9, an evil spirit comes on him, and once again he throws the spear, tries to kill David. Uh, In chapter 19, uh, they seek to ambush his house. Uh, David escaped from the king through the spear, so he goes home. Saul tells his man, let's ambush him at home. David told his wife, Saul, you happen to know that at this time, David is a son-in-law. He's married to the king's daughter. And they made a mannequin, put it in the bed, and made like it was David. So David made his escape. And so he flees once again for his life. David winds up in chapter 22, hiding out in a cave, the cave of Agilom. Uh, He's in flight. He's hiding in caves. He's, He's running like a dog. He's running like the most wanted list in all of Israel. Instead of promotion, instead of being honored as a national hero, the king is enraged at him and chases him. He winds up in chapter 22, uh, verse 5, in the wilderness of Judah. He keeps fleeing. He winds up down at En Gedi. And if you've ever been to Israel and you go to the Dead Sea, going down by En Gedi is desolate. It's past Masada, right next to a wilderness uh, it's not where you want to go. But he's down there because there's all kinds of caves in the cliffs. He's hiding like a goat. He's running for his life. And by the time he goes to the cave of Agilom, 600 men join him. 600 losers. They're in debt. They're distressed. They're discouraged. Just what David needed when he was down. 600 hoods. 600 bad guys. He needs God's help, and the distressed are joined to him. Now, when Saul chases him, he brings 3,000 men. This is only one man he's after. 3,000 men to catch a 20-year-old young man? Well, he flees down to En Gedi. Saul gets down there in chapter 24, and he goes into the cave, and David and his men are there, and David cuts off a part of his garment, could have killed the king. The men are saying, God has put him in your hands. David says, God has not raised me up to kill God's anointed. I'll spare his life. Then after that, what does he get? Saul keeps pursuing him, and he pursues him to the land of Ziph, where the Ziphites are. And after that, uh, he spares Saul once again. Then as the book goes on, Saul goes to the witch of Endor in chapter 28. 29, he gets involved in warfare. By the time the book ends, Saul dies on Mount Gilboa, falling on his sword, ending a tragic life. But all of the life he had left, he pursued God's anointed next greatest king of Israel. Why in the world would you do wrong to somebody that did so much right? The first answer to that question is success brings enemies. Because success stirs up the pride of those who don't have success. And here Saul has lost the anointing, as it were. He has lost the spirit's enablement. He won't repent, but he knows he's missing something. And so in the vacuum of what he's lost, he's been, he's been replaced with a demonic spirit that just terrorizes him and comes on him and leaves him at will. So the first thing I see is that, David, your success has stirred up the pride and the envy of a man not right with God. 
And notice this, you pick it up in chapter 18, verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, had David killed tens of thousands? No. Had Saul killed a thousand? Not in chapter 17. He's too busy fretting over in the tent. For 40 days, they've been at a stalemate. He hasn't killed anybody, just the flies. He's been frozen. So it's just a song, and the song is full of exaggeration and hyperbole. Because neither man had killed that. But it's a nice little ditty. And don't you think that the king would just say... Yes, God did use this young man. He delivered Israel. Let's give him his moment in the sunlight. All Israel, join me. Well, let's see what happened. Verse uh, 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. Jealousy is the child of pride. And when you're proud, you're jealous of everybody else that's doing as good as you. You don't mind if they do good, but not as good as you. You don't mind folks doing okay, but the moment it seems like they've got a little bit more, a few more, a little bit more, then the pride is tested. Now, God, you be good to them, but don't give them more than you've given me. It's all right, God, if David kills a few of the troops, but let's be sure the song says, I killed the most, because my pride's at stake. That's the reason why the man starts chasing the innocent. The second reason is his imagination took over, and he begins to imagine evil. And when he begins to imagine David as an enemy, he impugns two emotives that David doesn't have. And notice how he impugns David's motive. He says, what more, verse 9, can he get but the kingdom? Saul, he's going to get the kingdom anyway. Because God's going to put him in, but not right now. You don't have anything to worry about because it's God's time clock that's going to put him in. David's not even thinking about a kingdom. He's just rejoicing that a giant was killed. David doesn't have kingdom on his mind. He's rejoicing. He's happy that Israel has been delivered. You'll be persecuted by people who impugn your motive with an overactive imagination. We used to, it's an old line, but we used to say the only mental exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions. He's got the boy figured out, and he impugns on him you're going to undermine me, you're out to get the kingdom. And there's never one place in all of David's life that he tried to get the kingdom. Never did he try to get it. Especially with Saul. He fought the enemies of God, but he never one day told anybody, I'm going to try to get the kingdom. Saul later on says, I know you're the next king. I know God's going to put you in. But David didn't say that. But you'll be persecuted by those whose imagination turn you into something you really are not. Because imagination can create a reality that's not a reality, and you can believe it. 
You can keep saying, that gal really loves me. No, she doesn't. She wants your money. (laughs) And she's desperate because she even likes you. (laughs) You get to think all the women are after you. Howard Hendricks used to say, Howard Hendricks, short man, bald-headed, he used to say in front of the class, he just bent over and said, if you think you're good-looking, remember they lusted for me too. You're not that handsome. They're just desperate. <laughs> but imagination. You get to imagine yourself to be the best, the greatest. Everybody, you're important. Your imagination is killing you. And it was going to kill David because the king imagined when you're not sure of yourself, everybody looks like an enemy and a threat. And he's not sure of himself. So David is a threat. Men that are miserable look for someone to blame and someone as a rival. When you know where you are in God... You don't fear rivals because God's will for you is certain. Well, another reason that he persecutes David, he's acting under satanic influence. The evil spirit would come on Saul, as we see here in uh, uh, verse 10. You find it in chapter 19. There's this terrorizing demon would come on the king and just, just attack him. And in a moment, he's doing stuff that, I mean, he's wanting to kill the boy that he loved. The boy is playing the music and irrational behavior because he's acting under demonic influence. I always say the devil never attacks his own kids. He only attacks God's kids. And so he's moving the king to fight against one of Israel's greatest friends. He's attacking the wrong person. Never, if you like to fight a lot, never fight God's people. They're beat up enough. Fight with the devil. He'll be a match for you any day. But don't ever take on God's people. God won't stand by and do nothing. He will always protect his own. And so the king, he's uh, uh, under satanic influence. And then he's just clearly in sin. And he says that by the time David spares him the second time, he says, you know what? I've sinned against you, David. I, uh, I've played the fool. I've erred greatly. You've been a much nobler man than I. Oh, I must show you that. I want you to see what he says when David spares him in chapter 26. And he says in verse 21, Then Saul said, 26, 21, Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have erred greatly. And David said to him back in verse 20, Why is the king of Israel out chasing a flea, a partridge? One place he said, I'm but a flea and a dead dog. Why would such a great man as you, Saul, chase a dead dog? It is a pitiful thing in life to watch people chasing dead dogs. Spending their life chasing what ought to be dead issues. We're at the Rio Theater, preached one morning, and I was walking down the center aisle there, and a woman came up to me, and she was nearly in a convulsive uh, weeping and was very broken, and I sought to comfort her, and, and uh, I said, what's your problem? What can I help you with? She says, I, 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 I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. And I said, uh, who's that? My father. I can't forgive my father and everything. I, I said, you must. You must go see your father. You 
You must forgive him. You've got to go on. She says, I can't. He's been dead for 10 years. 10 years later from the grave, the dead dog was consuming all of her emotional energy. She just couldn't give it up. And here's the king of Israel chasing fleas when he ought to be ruling a nation. Chasing trivia pursuit when he ought to be going to the sanctuary, repenting and getting right with God and telling Israel, we've got a great God. I don't have time to chase a boy that God's using. I, in my mind, have made him an enemy and I'm treating him like a dog and like a flea. He's not my enemy. The enemy I'm dealing with is in my breast. It's my own heart. But when a person will not get right with God, it's amazing how many people they blame for their predicament. They'll find everyone to blame. We've sung it at times. It's old. It's from the black church years ago. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, my brother, my sister, Lord. It's me we're talking about. Quit trying to straighten out everybody else. Straighten you out. Deal with you. You can't change your wife, and she hopes you'll find that out. (laughs) She'll outlast you. They outlive us men. (laughs) And they're going to get your wealth anyway. You can't. God's big enough for her. Is he big enough for you? So the king, he's made a problem that was not his at all. His problem was taking care of Saul, but he made David his problem. And David was, would have been the greatest blessing, the greatest asset, but he's doing a man wrong that's doing right. Well, David writes about these exile years. He goes on the run. And I just lift out from some of his songs what he had on his heart when he was on the run. Let's look at the lessons he learned. I think the first thing he learns and that we all must get a sense of, we don't like this point, I don't like it, And that is that God often uh, includes suffering before he ever promotes us to a throne. You you see, Saul, God had no training experience with this Saul. The last thing Saul was doing before he became king was chasing donkeys. And I think he handled the people of God like he handled the donkeys, roughshod. God calls a shepherd boy that he's been dealing with from his youth, and he says, there's one thing lacking in your life. Your family hasn't treated you right. I'm going to put you through 10 years of almost impossible running, impossible circumstances, because I'm going to take you to school. And I'm going to teach you something about you and I, so that when you get the throne, you'll not be puffed up with the position, and you won't forget what I taught you on the run. We don't like the school of suffering, but it seems some of the greatest lessons we ever learn are learned there. You learn few lessons from promotions and possessions. You usually learn them from pain. And so David learns like Joseph of old. God gives a dream. And we immediately want to say, now it will be fulfilled. And God has this interlude with Joseph even of probably 10 to 15 years. That's why hope is a part of our faith. We're waiting to get what God's promised. I think of the Lord Jesus. He came. He's going to be God's king over the earth. But he first of all suffered. And he died on the cross. He has not yet set up his kingdom. But the suffering part's over. 
The part yet to come is the reigning, and he's going to do that something. Well, I think something else that uh, he finds out. David writes all these psalms. Let's just lift out some verses from the psalms and see what he had on his mind during these different trials. Turn with me, if you will. Psalms 54. Is the heater on? If just, I know I'm hot, but I, I'd rather be metaphorically hot than, than fainting. It's so hot up here. Psalms 54. Now look at the heading. When did he write this psalm? When the Ziphites, and this is a little later in the analogy, but I'm just, we're going through the psalms here. I'll pick them up chronologically, really numerically. Watch. When the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us? And, and he was, and guess what they said? We're going to turn you over to Saul if we can't. You can't find a refuge among us because Saul will kill us. So he's in this jeopardy. He's on the run. Help me. I'm the giant killer. I've been in the army of Saul. I'm the sweet musician of Israel. They said, we're going to turn you over to Saul. Because we're not going to risk our life for you. And listen to what he writes. Just a little bit. Verse 4. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Verse 3. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. God is the only one sustaining me in this exile run. Then he goes on. Psalms 56. Now this was written when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And he fakes being insane. And he goes to them, but they don't want him to be in their army. One time they don't want him in the army. They fear him. Another time he feigns insanity before the king. And so he's in enemy territory. They could fall on him any moment and kill him. And so it's a fearful thing. He was afraid for his life. And they look good because Saul is on his tail. So he runs to another enemy. And they take him in for a while. And then he says in 56.3, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can these Philistines do to me if God doesn't let them anyway? All day long they twist my words. They're plotting to get me. Verse 8, Lord, record my tears. Write down, but then he comes back to it in verse 10. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What word of God was he holding on to? I think he's holding on to this word. Son, you're the next king. Son, this is Samuel. I speak God's word to Israel. Israel doesn't have a Bible in their hands yet. Listen to me, son. God has chosen you to be the next king of Israel, not to be a dead dog, not to be killed by Saul. I'm telling you, son, hear me. This is the word of the Lord. You're God's next king. But Lord, I'm surrounded by enemies. I'm surrounded by Philistines. I've got an insane king chasing me, and I've done nothing wrong. 
Surely you made a mistake through Samuel. He didn't say this. Your word I praise. I'm going to cling to it when I'm among my enemies and I'm about to go down. You said, Lord, I'm your child. But I won't be afraid because I'm going to trust God's word. I want to tell you, dear friend, some of you don't read your Bible very much. That's your business. But I'll tell you this. When you're afraid, God's people have run to a word from God. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to his knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855-833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 